what is the setup here? I mean, who's your boss? God. What? My boss. Scott. I'm an angel. I'm one of the best, but I try. And I make mistakes. Guess he figures the only way I'm going to learn is by mistakes. I'm kind of new at this. Hello. Welcome to Highway to Heaven Revisited. Hosted by Rachel Mayer and Joel Luders. With moderator, Sam Hine. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to episode 8 of Highway to Heaven Revisited, hosted by two of your favorite people in the world, and my favorite people in the world. Please welcome to the show, the indomitable Rachel Mayer. Hi, Sam. That's so nice of you. You're one of our favorite people, too. Oh, thank you. You're welcome. <laughs> and of course, we have Joel. He's got a brand new shirt on. Welcome to the show, Mr. Slick himself, Joel <laughs> Luters. Hey, Sam. Thanks for this flamingo shirt. Well, no problem. Oh, it's great. It's uh, There's some pink flamingos and some, I believe they're more natural colored, uh, golden flamingos. Yeah. Are they flamingos? Flamencos, yes. Or flamingos. Well, in Spain, you call them flamencos. And in America, you call them flamingos. Hmm. Okay. Oh. We'll let the audience fact check that for us. And I I'm did sure my we'll fact checking. Now you do yours. The gauntlet has been thrown, ladies and gentlemen, by Mr. Joel Luters himself. So, this is the podcast where you guys show up to the Channel 3 TV studios, having watched a couple episodes of Highway to Heaven at a time, and you talk me through everything that goes on, story point by story point. The other little hook is that I don't watch the show at all, and I usually have a lot of questions and uh, personal asides along the way. Okay, so you guys are here to talk about Season 1, Episode 10. What is the name of this episode today? Help Wanted. Angel. <laughs> Angel. Is this a new thing? Do you like us to say it together? I think we should say it simultaneously. <laughs> Joel's kind of giving me that look. Like, Yeah, Joel really wants it to be in tandem. Yeah. So if we could try it one more time, please. We, we can do it this time. I don't mm-hmm. know if I want to do it for every episode, though. This episode is called Help, Help Wanted, Wanted Angel. Angel. That's all they do is they go to small town to small town and essentially make up some story about how they've answered the want ads for some help wanted, and then they have a new job. It seems to me that this particular episode, they're looking for an actual angel. Hang on, Sam, because this episode continues to deliver on Highway to Heaven. Things are just going to get ridiculous. You texted me yesterday, Rachel, that you said you just finished watching episode 10, and I couldn't possibly guess what happens. And I'm pretty sure I used capital letters in that text. Yes, you capitalize the word never. You will (laughs) never be able to guess what happens. And I'm ready for it. Please take me down the highway with you two today. Okay. It appears to be that we're on an overpass bridge looking through a chain link fence down onto the highway. So we're on a footbridge over the highway? Right. Those are so fun to shoot stuff on. There's like kind of some shaft sounding music playing, not super funky, like, hey, get down, but but still kind of like, ooh, like peppy. I wish we could find a better way to describe the music to you, because the music is wonderful in so many of these episodes. And here's the twist about the music. I think the Highway to Heaven theme song is the worst music in the show. When I hear that song, I still get triggered as a kid where I'm like, oh, the most <laughs> boring thing is ever, because it's just like, wah, 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 wah. Now that 
that have watched the show, I look forward to it. And every once in a while, the theme gets kind of mixed in with the music. Oh, I can see that. Sure. At different points. I mean, I'm relatively familiar with how the theme goes. So I can imagine that as the episodes pile up, it has a soothing effect because it's a very legato, smooth kind of strings and horns thing. Yes, and it is pretty much worked into every episode. They bring some version of the theme song over whatever action is going on. But then we cut to them driving along the coast. And I would say more of this takes place along the boardwalk in a small seaside town. You know, L.A. is generally in California. And then if you keep driving west, you eventually do get to a small seaside town, I suppose. Mm -hmm. Good place to get some fried shrimp, perhaps. Joel just made a very skeptical face. So we're just going to have to agree to disagree on that. This episode sounds potentially polarizing. You guys might have walked away seeing two different episodes. Well, I think polarizing is a great word because I really want to see how this episode hits you. Great. Because I do think Joel and I had the same emotional reaction to it at the end. Would you agree with that, Joel? Oh, I totally would. I think the only thing that we're in disagreement about is that I realize that this took place in a big city, and for some reason you think that all of these different things couldn't have existed in a small town. Santa Barbara. I don't know the size of these places. Is it important? I don't really no, think it's, it's important, important at all. It's about as unimportant as that overpass bridge shot, honestly. Well, I think the big takeaway is Rachel didn't like the big highway shot. And uh, wherever this story takes place, mm-hmm. please tell me that story, guys. We cut to Mark and John in the car. Driving along the coast. We see ocean and beach outside of the window. John's doing the driving, and mm-hmm. Mark is looking through a newspaper. Mark's reading the news, and he starts commenting about the multiple murderer who I think killed his wife and then killed a police officer, got thrown in jail, but only served six years because he found God and said he was sorry, which I don't think that's the way jail works anymore. But maybe, you know, in 1984 it did. Mark's a little fed up with this guy. He should have gotten more than six years. Mark says, I think we should just get rid of this guy as soon as possible and have God figure out if he was really sorry or not. Yeah, Uh Mark just says, if this guy really found God, let's send him up to God so they can have a talk about it. This is Mark's backstory. His wife was murdered by a a man who committed multiple murders and eventually got out of jail in six years. Or it's just about a person in a story. It's just about a person. Okay, so... it's interesting you brought up Mark's wife. You said Mark was talking about it. Did I? You said Mark said... You said something that made me feel like Mark was telling this story. He's talking about this guy in the newspaper who killed his wife. Who killed his wife. I totally understand how it read that way. I should have said Mark was reading a story about a guy who killed his own personal wife, not Mark's wife. Okay, so he's just talking more generally about a criminal who got off easy. I mean, I guess if he was talking about the guy who actually killed his wife, he would have a lot of reason. Well, as you can see, my sleuthery, whether or not intended, has already paid off. I've got a tiny breadcrumb along (laughs) the way. Mark's wife is coming into this one Hmm. at some point. Well, then John says, he changes the conversation, and he says, hey, you like this uh, country music? And he's like, hell yeah. And he goes, you also like the sound of the ocean, don't you? And he goes, yeah. And then he angel magics the radio to play the sound of the ocean really loud in the car. And Mark says, oh, that's cute. Then that's the end of the scene. (laughs) That's the end of the scene. That's strange. I think part of the problem might have been that Mark was singing along to it. Yeah, that's the recurring joke. Mark is bad at singing and it really bothers Jonathan. Yeah. Now we cut to an old man walking down a graffiti-covered street. And he walks into the local community center up to the guy working behind the counter. And he's like, I'm here to pick up my mail. Is there any mail for me? And the guy's like, nope. 
And then there is some older gentleman playing cards at a nearby table and they start ribbing this other gentleman who asked about his mail and saying, you're never going to get any mail. Nobody's interested in your writing. Why don't you just come play cards with us? So he's looking for either the acceptance or rejection letters for his uh, submissions. You got it. Poetry, short stories. You nailed it, Sam. You're doing really well this episode. Yeah, I'm getting pretty sleuthy, guys. So they're like, nobody wants your stuff. And then there's this teen who's playing pool. This is what makes me think it's a small town, too, because this is a crazy community center. Apparently, you can get your mail there, and the senior citizen population hangs out there, as well as the young juvenile kind of look like they're up to no good population. Yeah, this is a real melting pot. It is, and they seem to all know each other and sort of get along. The pool playing kid then turns to the old man is like hey man you need to make me a movie star i'm your next eric estrada yeah put me in the movies eric estrada has nothing on me man eric estrada for those who might not be aware was a pretty hot tv star in the 80s one of the motorcycle riding cops in chips and the alien abduction episode of chips I already talked about it. It's terrifying. Yeah, I think we're going to have to do that as a bonus episode sometime. I love that idea. Mm-hmm. We find out that he writes, apparently, movies. And I'm just going to throw some names out there. We haven't actually gotten names yet, but for the sake of it not getting too confusing, our older gentleman who does write movies, his name is Martin, and this young pool-playing gentleman, his name is Chewy. Excellent. Yeah, Martin, the older guy, he's the actor named John Lormer. He was a super busy working character actor from the 50s to to the 80s. He did tons and tons of TV shows. He's basically known for having a tall, emaciated look about him. He was on Gunsmoke, Bonanza, Wild Wild West, as well as the original Star Trek. This episode I'm is... I'm sure I would recognize him. Yeah, it's full of character actors who are recognizable to me, but were never in anything huge. I think they were just on a ton of stuff throughout the 80s. Right. Chewy, the pool playing teen, actor Randy Vasquez. He is our first sliders. Hit the sliders theme. What if you could travel to parallel worlds the same year, the same Earth, only different dimensions. A world where the Russians rule America. Or where your dreams of being a superstar came true. Or where San Francisco was a maximum security prison. My friends and I found the gateway. Now the problem is finding a way back home. He played Carlos in Season 3, Episode 21, Slither, where Quinn and Rembrandt get snared in a rare South American snake deal and wind up getting Maggie and Wade trapped during a rescue attempt. You gotta stay out of those South American snake deals. He was also on a television show that was one of my favorites growing up, Silk Stockings. What network was Silk Stockings on? It was on cable, USA. It was not on any channel I had, I know that. Yeah, I didn't have it. My parents lived pretty far out into the country, and cable just wasn't available. I think I caught a couple reruns here and there on some channel in college, but it's kind of a a smutty kind of show. It's It's really really, smutty. Really smutty. How old were you when you were watching that show, Joel? Uh, Between the ages of 10 and 13, probably. Did you watch it by yourself? Oh, yeah. (laughs) How'd you know? Mom, don't you knock? (laughs) Don't you knock, Mom? 
<laughs> Great. So he was on Silk Stockings. But just to clarify, Mr. Vasquez was not on Quantum Leap. Correct. So he's like, ah, you know, make me a star. And also at one point, just a little bit earlier, the mailman was all like, ah, there's no mail for you. Everyone just likes kitty shows or sexy shows. Yeah, like Silk Stockings. Not the or, kind of stuff you write. Yeah, that's right. It was reinforced that nobody is interested in poor old Martin's stories. Movie scripts. Given Michael Landon's taste, they're probably westerns. <laughs> He writes westerns. Yeah, let's just guess that. Let's guess it until I'm wrong. Yep. So Chewie, the young man, and Martin have a little sassy back and forth where Martin tells Chewie he won't get anywhere playing pool, and Chewie tells Martin you won't get anywhere writing bad movies, and then Martin's friend steps in to defend him. A younger man, still probably in his 50s, you know, not a young man, and he says something along the lines of, Martin's read some of his movie scripts to me, and I think they're real pretty. And then Chewie, the young young man comes in and says uh what does he say <laughs> trigger warnings ahead well i'm kind of having a little debate here joel and mm -hmm. i didn't talk about this but so he says you got an r word for a groupie i don't really know if i want to say the r word you guys know what i mean r word for a groupie i'm fine with spelling it? it out that's oh. <laughs> just the same got an r word do you know what that means is the r word the it's like idiot Oh, the word that we shall no longer speak. So what Chewie is really saying, but he doesn't have the vocabulary, is that you have a friend with an intellectual disability for a groupie, Martin. But he <laughs> uses a different word. That word's going to pop up a few times during this episode. Trigger warnings ahead. Yeah, so Martin's friend, whose name is Joey, is given a hard time by Chewie. And Martin says, no, Chewie, I've got a man named Joey for a friend. We're setting up some characters here. Okay, so Martin and Joey are friends. But Joey is a little bit like Lenny in Mice and Men? That's a really good comparison, actually. I was thinking he was sort of in the vein of Leonardo DiCaprio in What's Eating Gilbert Grape. And so Joey, the actor, was in Quantum Leap. We got another Leaper already? We got another Leaper. Season 4, episode 17, Roberto. It's the same episode as another Highway to Heaven alum, Jerry Harden, where Sam leaps into a Geraldo Rivera-like character. Okay. He helps an asthma, a lady who has asthma with power. Lines that are I believe the term is as maniac. Yes. I don't know if we can use that term anymore, Sam. <laughs> <laughs> That's okay. That one's been uh, swept under the rug, too. He was also... I'll have you know my brother's an as maniac, okay? <laughs> he also was in the movie House of 10,000 Corpses. That's a Rob Zombie film, correct? Correct. And I he... don't know if I've seen that one. I can definitely vouch for The Devil's Rejects. That's a pretty good movie. Yeah, he played uh, Grandpa Hugo. You guys will definitely have to watch Roberto. Yeah. That episode that of Quantum Leap. Twice now? Ten episodes in Highway to Heaven and that episode of Quantum Leap has come up twice. Is that what we're calling them? Leapsers? Leapers? Leapers, yeah, they leap. Leapers or like leapsies? Like we got a leapsy. I like a leapers. Okay, we'll call them leapers. So Joey and Martin are talking to each other, and they're walking, and it looks like there's like a park behind them. Joey and Martin are walking down the sidewalk. Is together. Joey carrying and petting a rabbit by any chance? <laughs> <laughs> no, but Martin does have his hand on Joey's shoulder, just maybe to depict a little more that he's a fragile old man. They start talking about movies. They both love movies. Joey's just sort of dreaming and he's asking Martin, did you get any offers? Wouldn't it be great if you got some offers on your script? And then he double checks with Martin. Joey says, are you still going to use me in your movie, Martin? You want to talk about movies? I saw a scary movie. Then Martin gives us this nugget. He says, I want to make a movie that'll touch people. Make them see how lonely we are. 
how alone we all are. Help them to reach out to one another and stop the loneliness. Stop the fear. So he wants to make a two-hour Coca-Cola commercial. (laughs) (laughs) Pretty much. Well, it's something to aspire to. And I'm sure Joey would like it. Joey's psyched. Joey says, wouldn't it be great if somebody just came along with a truck that had all the movie equipment and just said, let's shoot that movie right now? That would be crazy if that happened. That probably won't happen, though. Then Martin says to Joey, I'm sorry, but I'm too tired to play this game of what if. I'm too old and tired to dream today. And I would need such a big old rich guy i would need what in the show business folks they call an angel but those don't grow on trees they do not grow on trees are you familiar with that showbiz term sam i'm familiar with this whole concept of a financier and they certainly are few and far between yeah it's not like an angel investor well so that's what martin's dreaming about to joey he really just wishes he had an angel who would come along and help him and then Joey says, see you later, alligator. And Martin's like, what? <laughs> and well, Martin's Joey, too old for that shit. Joey has to explain. <laughs> now you say after a while, crocodile. And Martin laughs and he says it. After a while, crocodile. Okay. They're friends. Mm-hmm. I'm sure it sounds charming. Kind of is. It's good to have somebody in your corner as a creative person. I'm sure you both agree with that statement. Absolutely. And Joey's that guy for Martin. Yeah, I'm glad they have each other. If only they lived in a reality where angels were real and they could get some help to make that movie about not being lonely anymore. Cut to Mark and John walking together towards the community center. And John says uh, he has a funny feeling about this assignment. He said before in the car, we didn't mention it, that he didn't really have any information about this assignment. He just knew where to go and knew that they had a place to stay, which is a bit of a change. I'm sure they'll never show you guys on the show, but it it would be interesting to understand exactly how much information Jonathan Smith gets and how. I don't know if you guys have watched The Americans, little but that's bit. a show about Russian spies yeah. living in America and they get their little codes via like a radio signal. They listen to the radio for five or ten seconds in the scene and they're writing down whatever somebody's saying on the radio. And it kind of seems that Michael Landon gets tiny fortune cookies yeah. slipped under his door or something or he pulls out a note out of his pocket and it says drive west or something just little snippets they definitely haven't made it clear exactly how he's getting the information but he clearly knows where to go he knows where to stop not so much in this case apparently but he is a new angel too so you know i don't know how much of it is user error that maybe he's not quite receiving the messages right through his little radio signals or something i'm also holding out for that episode where we get the origin story of jonathan smith's death i want to know that story and whether or not it was Jonathan Smith is like exactly oh. the same kind of angel as Clarence. Today is not that day. We're not going to find that out, okay. but I'm fairly certain we are going to find that out at some point in the series. But Joel, you think Stay he killed tuned. himself? Was it like no. a David a no, David no. Carradine scenario? No, no. <laughs> Gosh, no. I just wanted to know whether it was or wasn't. I just wanted to make oh. sure it wasn't. Rachel's not on board with either of our theories. Oh, I think it's How dare we say that about her guys. sweet man piece, Michael yeah. Landon? I just wanted to make Michael sure that it Landon wasn't. had a really hard life. I don't think we need to disparage him on this show. I have my hopes that eventually there will be a Jonathan Smith origin story. Oh, and we'll see whether or not there is a connection in the uh, It's a Wonderful Life extended universe. <laughs> the inciting incident will 
be whether or not Michael Landon turns into an angel after a bell rings. Oh my goodness. That is very specific. I don't know if we're going to get quite that specific of an answer, but I hope we do. Yeah. You know, really, all I can say is stay tuned. Okay, so they're ending up in the community center. They're definitely walking down the sidewalk near the community center, and they see a hand-lettered sign. Mark's like, what are we even doing here, man? What are we doing here? Then they both look up, and there's a hand-lettered sign. And it's one of those signs that someone specifically has tried to make it look like it was either written by a child or someone who can't write well, where like the E's are written backwards, but it's still clearly legible, legible and easy to read. So Joey wrote a sign for Marty. Yeah. The sign says, help wanted angel. See Joey at the community center. So we go to the community center yeah. and Joey's there, yep. holding court, ready to talk about showbiz. Yep. So Mark and Jonathan are in the community center. Joey's in the back of the room mopping or sweeping or mm-hmm. something. Martin, the old guy, comes in and he's checking on his mail again. And he's getting kind of upset because the guy isn't looking. Martin's like, can you please just check? Can you just look? And then we cut real quick to Mark and Jonathan talking to Joey. Is there any mail for me today? Nothing today. Sorry. Well, could you maybe just check, please? Okay, Martin, I'll check. So you're the Joey that put up the poster? Uh Uh-huh. Because she wanted an angel? Uh Uh-huh. Uh, are you an angel? If I said yes, would you believe me? Are you a liar? No. Well, I believe you. Excuse, please, kind ladies and gentlemen, but who can tell me where is Joey from this poster? And in comes another old white dude. And he says, I'm an angel. I'm Petros. I'm an angel. Yeah, he has a Greek accent. Yeah. Okay. And he's holding Joey's hand letter sign. And he says, I'm here. I'm the angel. Where's Joey? I heard you're looking for an angel. That's me. So then Joey goes running over to this guy. And somehow Martin, there's so much going on. Martin gets introduced. And then this Greek guy, Petros, starts going, Martin Martin. Lamb, the writer, the, the one who wrote the movie called The Magician of Venice, the one who's a beautiful scriptwriter that Martin Lamb. So Petro surreptitiously is a fan of Martin Lamb, screenwriter. Martin Lamb's like, oh my gosh, you know me? Yeah, he's tearing <gasps> up. He's getting super emotional. <gasps> Joey's really excited. I did this. I did this. Yeah. Well, he's and got two angels in the room well, within six minutes of writing that want ad <laughs> on the boardwalk. You're supposed to ask for what you want, right? Like put it out in the universe? Yeah. It totally worked for Joey really fast. So Joey does realize he has two angels and all of a sudden he runs back over to Jonathan and he's like, what about this angel petros the greek guy is like i'm i'm the angel what what's going on and petros just kind of takes over yeah he turns to jonathan goes uh no hard feelings you're here too late uh first first dibs you too handsome opa opa (laughs) pretty much yeah they say that in Greek restaurants, right? And then they smash things. And so then Petros is like, hey, you've got this excellent uh, script. Who are going to be our actors? And Martin's like, oh, I was going to use the people in the community. And Petros is like, eh, you know, the Ten Commandments still needed Charlton Heston. I think we can all agree and with that. And so this upsets him. Then John steps up and he's mm. like, hey, you know what? Save a lot of money. And, you know, what are uh, amateurs but actors who haven't had a shot? 
spot yet. Stars in the making. You could save money and discover a star at the same time. Why not use the actors in the neighborhood? Give them a chance. Pitchers goes, ooh, I like this kid. This is totally the Michael Landon effect here. Jonathan Smith just says something and someone changes their mind. Petros is immediately on board. I love this idea and I love you. I love this kid. You'll be a great director. He wants Jonathan to be his director. Wow. Yeah. And Jonathan's like, whoa, whoa. I'm not a director. What was I doing just 10 minutes ago in the other part of town? Oh my gosh, I don't even remember. Doctor, physical therapist, lawyer, take your pick. Petros says, hey, I'm no producer. These aren't actors. How can we lose? We're gonna make a movie. This is a crazy episode so far. So John and Mark... Petros and Martin, and I believe Joey as well. Joey is there, yep. They're all sitting around having drinks at this hustling, bustling bar. And there's an older blonde woman playing the piano. She's not singing. She's just playing the piano, right? Mm -hmm. And they are admiring her. She should probably be in the movie too. That's what Petros thinks. But uh, Mark isn't having it. Petros is like, hey, she should be our, uh, our, you know, our our pure woman. The ingenue. I I was trying to think of that word yesterday. I kept saying, what is that? Uh, engineer? Yes, the ingenue. Thank the you. Ingenue. That's exactly what... The woman to be desired in the film. Yes, and Martin actually knows her, and so he tells Petra her name is Stella, and Petros <laughs> is like, Stella, she's a star. It's perfect. But Mark has to point out what's not perfect. You want that bar fly to play a pure woman, huh? Oh, my good friend. You look with your eyes, but you do not see. you got to look with your heart. You think your heart needs glasses? I mean, that woman's been around. Say that again. I said that woman's been around. She's maybe older than he would have picked for maybe this character. She's maybe in her early 50s. They're about the same age. Yeah. Highly inappropriate. Men in their 50s need to be dating somebody in their mid-20s or early 30s tops. This is a bit of the old Mark showing up. Petros does call Mark out on this a little bit because Mark's going off on his little rant and Petros tells Mark that he should look with his heart and not his eyes. But then Mark tells Petros that he thinks his heart needs glasses. So he's not buying it. (laughs) He's not buying it. But Petros did like the way he told him off and noticed something about his Greek features. I think he was trying to just sweeten him up a little bit too, uh right? And said, yeah, you are kind of attractive. Have you ever considered acting? You'd make a good sea captain. Actually, Vic, Victor French would make a pretty decent sea captain. I agree. And not because I've seen him as a sea captain coming up soon, but he would make an excellent sea captain. And so Mark, like so many people, is very responsive to this flattery. He says, oh, I'm not an actor. I want me. But uh, I think it goes without saying that everybody on the show ends up in the movie. Not everybody. Not everyone. You, I mean, that's a really reasonable guess. It sounds like a couple of people are going to have to die along the way. But uh, eventually everyone... Everybody will be in this movie. Okay, so we're figuring it out. How did they approach the piano lady? Are we getting her in the movie? It happens off camera. This scene ends between Martin and Joey talking together and Joey being like, hey, am I still going to be in this movie? And Martin's like, yeah, you're the magician. You're You're the the main character. This is about you. And then the scene ends just with Joey really excited running around to everyone in the bar and yelling, I'm going to be in a movie. I'm going to be in a movie. I don't think he was giving them high fives, but in my memory, I picture him running around the bar giving giving people high fives. This is going to be a good high point for Joey. I mean, it seems at this point like the movie's going to be really important, right? Seems like it's going to be really important. Right? New scene. So we have Joey hanging out with Chewie, the young pool playing guy from the start, who was... Who just called him a retard yeah. in the first scene. Yeah, so Joey and Chewie are hanging out. This place is a rat hole, and I don't want any part of what you're doing. It doesn't have to be a rat hole. This is our home. 
We're not rats. I don't even know what I'm talking to you for, you retard. Chewy, that hurts my feelings. Who cares, you retard? You call me a name so you don't have to see me. You just see the name you call me. You can't even see me. Hey, I see you and all the rest of them just fine, man. You see everything ugly. So you make things ugly. But you can't do that to me, Chewy. Because I'm nice. That's what the magic is. The way you see things. Yeah, but what else could I call you that would make you anything but a retard? You could call me... friend. Jonathan Smith yells, cut! Oh, man, this movie is pretty true to life. <laughs> this sounds like a Fellini film, to be honest with you. <laughs> yeah, at this point, then Chewie turns to Joey and is just like, how'd you memorize all those lines so well? Chewie's like, I just got this script yesterday, man. I stayed up all night memorizing the lines, and you're getting a little slow, so I don't know how you memorize the lines, Joey. And Joey's like, I didn't. Chewie's like, what? Joey says, Jonathan just told me to tell the truth, so that's what I did. Jonathan is a brilliant director. <laughs> Petros had no idea. But Chewie's like, but you got all the lines exactly right. <laughs> so he angel magicked the lines. So he- He's just driving him like a remote control car, I guess. There's just so many questions about what is being completely controlled by the big boss. Yeah, right. And where our free will comes in. Good on him, though. I guess they're getting a movie. Chewie's response to everything, which I think is the best response, he just says, that's weird. And Joel and I were both like, yeah, that's yeah. super weird. That then, is very weird. Like everything in Highway to Heaven world, they just let it go. And then Chewie goes, hey, you know, us actors, we got to stick together. You want to go get some chili dogs with me? And they put their arms around each other's shoulders and kind of go skipping off to lunch. That's good to have friends. What happens next, guys? We see Mark is dressed like a sea captain. Mm-hmm. Oh, man. Excellent. <laughs> He looks good. Yeah. Yeah. Really good. How would you rate it on a scale of Mark's outfits so far? We have the regular look. We have the cowboy look from the Ronnie Blakely episode. And now we have the sea captain apparel. The sea captain is my current favorite. Sea captain is the best by far. Excellent. So Mark's doing a little dialogue with Stella. Stella's saying her lines and Mark's like moving his mouth along with her lines, reciting under his breath. (laughs) It's real amateur hour on Mark's side. It's sort of a romantic scene. I'm not afraid of death. I've known what it is to live, and I've known what it is to love. Besides, everyone dies sometime. Everyone and everything. Love doesn't die. It goes on like the sea that brought you back to me, my own true love. Oh, what slop. I can't say this. I mean, who talks like that? My own true love. And Stella says, oh, I, I think it would be nice if somebody talked to me like this, actually. She tells Mark maybe it's just because we don't know each other very well. She asks Mark if he'd like to join her for a little hot dog roast on the beach that night, on their night off. She says, why don't we go down to the beach? We'll roast up some hot dogs like we used to do when we were kids, and we'll get to know each other. Maybe it'll be more comfortable to be doing this mm-hmm. romantic scene if we know a little bit more about each other. She then asks him, do you like chili? He's into that idea. Oh, yeah. He likes to eat. Way to a man's heart is through his stomach. Is that true? Yes. (laughs) But yeah, so in just like two scenes, we've had the offer of chili dogs. It's a good way to make friends, share food together. Chili dogs are pretty great. When do you ever eat them either? I never eat chili dogs. Not very often. No. Sonic America's Drive-In sometimes gets mixed long chili cheese conies. They got a very big menu over at Sonic. Not currently a sponsor. Do you know that Joel used to work at Sonic America's Drive-In? I did not. I'm shocked. (laughs) 
that's one of your favorite things to talk about, oh, yeah. at least at home. Maybe yeah. it's a secret. Yeah, I worked for Sonic America's drive-in like all through high school, and then like over the summer when I, I came back for like my first year of college. What's your top three items on that giant menu, Joel? Grilled cheese sandwich made like a number one plus ketchup. Like a number one means that it has mayonnaise, lettuce, tomato, pickle, and onions on it. And then I'd also get a squirt of ketchup. So two big pieces of buttery toast, all those ingredients. Yes. And two big pieces of melted cheese. That's a real fancy grilled cheese right there. Wow. And it used to come in like 350. Oh, nice. So it came in at a good like a 354 bucks. They also make their own onion rings, which is what I would frequently do. Is make the onion rings in the morning. So yeah, you get that order of onion rings and a flurry. What they do is they mix slushy material in with their frozen ice cream. When you're eating it, you hit those little bits of slushy and it kind of creates like little bits of sugary ice. Yeah, they do something like that over at Dairy Queen. They don't like mix it together. Also, I would suggest for the best Sunday is the pineapple malt. Oh, that sounds Ooh. weird. I mean, this is also someone who worked there and made a lot of different foods. So eventually you get sick of eating Reese's Pieces every night and Butterfinger Blizzards. The pineapple malt was... Well, like I said, Sonic is currently not a sponsor of the show. But just imagine, Sonic, my voice reading your copy. It's a match made in heaven. You can be the next Paris Hilton. Oh, <laughs> God, I would love to be the next Paris Hilton. <laughs> Do you remember the Paris Hilton only I could Sonic? find somebody to make a sex tape with <laughs> That me. was Carl's Jr. Oh, no, wasn't it Sonic? I thought it was Carl's Jr. It she was, was Carl's Jr., but oh, I will do I got confused. for Sonic what Paris Hilton <laughs> did for Carl's Jr. I was re-watching some Simple Life episodes, which I hated when it came out. I remember being like morally opposed to it. It's funnier than I remember. But they work at Sonic for a while, so I think that's why I got it confused. And I was thinking about that because Paris Hilton has to make the onion rings. and She does a really bad job of it. It's nice. Yeah. Just send us an email, yeah. Sonic. So we're at the beach. It's nighttime. Mm-hmm. The sun's gone on down there's a campfire it's very romantic there's two nice long neck beers stella and mark are getting to know each other that's why they're having this little beach outing stella's reminiscing about she used to come to this beach when she was a kid she had lots of good memories and mark starts asking her some questions i thought mark did a really nice job trying to find out a little bit more about stella we find out that stella has tried to be an actress her whole life and she's gotten a lot of bit parts here and there a lot of promises lots of promises but nothing ever worked out. Turns out she has the same answer when Mark asks her if she's ever been married. She says, nope, lots of promises, but nothing ever worked out. Why does Mark say he was never married? Because he talks about how he was never married, and he sort of speculates on what it might have been like. Was it because he had too much drinking to do? <laughs> yeah, I think so. I don't remember what his... What his he, excuse what his ex- what's, what's your excuse for not getting married, oh. Sam? And... um. <laughs> Mark, your impression of my niece <laughs> is crazy. A couple months ago, I was sitting with her and we were having a snack. And she mm. looked at me so disgusted, rolled her eyes and said, you're never going to get a wife. Was it a salty sack or a sweet wow. snack? Yeah. It went immediately salty from there. How old is she? She's six. Oh, wow. And, you know, she has these paradigms written to her in her princess stories. I kind of just like the passion which with that line was delivered at the age of six. So much sauciness behind it. What'd you say when she said that? I, I was honest with her. I said, listen, in order to get married, you got to first find somebody you want to marry. And then hopefully that person also wants to marry you back. Mm-hmm. That's surprisingly hard to do. It is. I mean, even though I am married. You know, listen, I'm happy with my life. We got a line out on Alice and Duty. (laughs) 
right. It's not like I'm totally hopeless here, guys. Yeah, you've got some options. So, you know, this really kind of ties in. Say, we it. haven't gotten any emails from her yet. You're the one who has access to Highway to Heaven Revisited <laughs> at gmail.com. She hasn't. I can give you the password if you want, but I will let you know as soon as I get that email. Please, please do. Know. Here's where I should tell you about this ingenue, Stella. The actress, her name is Stella Stevens. And according to IMDb, her trademarks are platinum blonde hair, sparkling blue eyes, voluptuous figure, and seductive deep voice. She is an American film television stage actress, started in 1959 with popular films such as Girls, 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 Nutty Professor. She was also in a bunch of TV shows like The Love Boat, Alfred Hitchcock, Newhart, one episode of Gunsmoke, one episode of Silk Stockings. So Joel, you've probably seen her. And I'm thinking maybe you have as well, because she also appeared in three Playboy pictorials. (laughs) (laughs) Guilty as charged. What years? Do you know? Uh, She was Playmate of the Month for January 1960. Wow. It sounds like a total, total, total babe. Go Mark. I probably have seen her in The Nutty Professor. That's Mm -hmm. the Jerry Lewis version of The Nutty Professor. Yep, I believe she is the main female character. Okay. I mean, it's no flubber. But what is? What is? I do remember that movie. That was with Robin Williams, I believe. And that flubber was wacky. It's so bouncy. I'm so good at basketball now that I got this flubber on my shoes. It's like the adipose in Doctor Who. That's a Doctor Who. Sam doesn't know. (laughs) Our job is to explain it to Sam. They're like flubber, but cute. And they're alive. Adipose. And made out of human flesh. They're like bouncy skin grafts. That's disgusting. But cute, cute. bouncy skin grafts. They're all like, hi. Hello. <laughs> Goodbye. I know we're convincing you to watch Doctor Who now. Every episode, I get closer and closer, guys. Highway to Heaven Revisited will return after a brief intermission. This is the intermission. It is happening right now. Please subscribe to Highway to Heaven Revisited wherever you get your podcasts. That way, you will never miss an episode. Visit our website, highwaytoheavenrevisited.com, to listen to every episode of the podcast. While you are there, you will find links to our social media pages, contact information, and ways you can help support the show. If you enjoy the podcast, please consider supporting Highway to Heaven Revisited on Patreon. Visit patreon.com slash highway to heaven revisited to see the variety of special perks exclusive to patreon patrons is your company interested in sponsoring highway to heaven revisited please send an email to highway to heaven revisited at gmail.com sam has been waiting his whole life to read your ads on the show intermission is over So Stella and Mark are really getting to know each other on the beach here. They're having a great little barbecue. Mm -hmm. The fire looks awesome. It looks nice and cozy. Stella does make a little bit of a joke when they're talking about marriage. And she says the only ring I ever got was the brass ring on the carousel, which I'm familiar with what that is, but that was before our time. Do you know that concept of the brass ring on the carousel? They gave you a stick or something. And as you pass by, you have to like try to get the stick joust style through a a ring. ring. 
thing. Yeah. I believe it was more popular when carousels were first showing up and they were one of the original amusement park rides and people were amazed by them. So while Mark and Stella are sitting out underneath the boardwalk, she goes on to tell them that she had a kid once, but she had to put her kid up for adoption. But now that kid is married and has children of her own. Yeah. So she's managed to keep in touch somehow. She knows that her daughter turned out really well. Her daughter is beautiful. Her daughter has beautiful children. So she has beautiful grandchildren. And Mark tells her, well, that makes sense because she has such a beautiful grandmother. And then Stella says, thank you. You know, you're kind of beautiful yourself. Man. Mark's going to be sad at the end of this show because he's only got about 48, 72 more hours in this town before he's got to move on. Sam, Mark is going to be sad at the end of this show. That is true. Some romantic music plays. They cheers each other. They look into each other's eyes. Camera just pulls back. Onto a seagull as it takes off. (laughs) That's right. We just have a shot of a seagull. Love is in the air. The next, next day. John is walking on the beach by himself. I did write that he's wearing his, uh, what is it, the denim tuxedo, the denim shirt and yeah. jeans. The Canadian walking, tuxedo. The Canadian tuxedo. Thank you. He's wearing the Canadian tuxedo, walking along the beach. Hair is just blowing in the wind. Is the Chariots of Fire theme playing? <laughs> ba, 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 it kind of was ba, in my head, but not, not actually on the show. Okay. So Jonathan's walking along without the benefit of the Chariots of Fire music. Petros walks up to join him. They're just standing, staring out at the ocean, and turns out Jonathan is a little worried about Mark. He didn't come home last night. Oh. Mm-hmm. But before anyone gets too concerned, Petros just points over and says, yeah, look, he's right over there with Stella. They've been out They've on been the on beach them. all night together. <laughs> they stayed up all night talking and singing. Wow. Yeah. They must be hammered by this point. And somebody says something like, it's working out just like in the script. Life is imitating art. Mm-hmm. Okay. And then there's something about, I wonder how this script is going to end. Jonathan gets a very thoughtful look on his face, mm-hmm. turns and looks at Petros and says, What did you say you were from? Galilee. Your name, Hadiag, what does that mean? Hebrew. Hebrew name. Like Jonathan. In Hebrew is Jonathan. Means God gave. Maybe God gave all these people here. Jonathan. What's your name, Hadiag? What does that mean? It means a fisherman. Peter the fisherman from Galilee. Who was sent out to fish for men's souls? That's me. You don't recognize me, eh? Well, the angel's earthly form has nothing to do with what he looks like in heaven, but only the soul is seen. So the actual embodiment of St. Peter yes. is on the show. <laughs> yes. That's incredible. And he's movie savvy. Jonathan didn't recognize him. Petro says to Jonathan, an angel's earthly form has nothing to do with what he looks like in heaven where only the soul is seen. Oh. Yeah. So. Well, regardless of what heaven might look like, we have two angels on screen at once. We have two angels on screen at once. This is like Wolverine number 10 from 1991, guys. This This is like the first appearance of Sabretooth. You better put this in a plastic bag and save it for later because this will be worth some money online. I don't get that reference, but I I like it. (laughs) 
seems to ring true. When they recognize each other, Jonathan gets visibly nervous. And what it reminds me of is one of my favorite movies, A History of Violence. There's that moment when the hitmen come into town. The badass bullies are in their car and the hitmen like basically just like cut them off in their car and they both make eye contact at each other. And it's this kind of like kind recognizes kind. The badass mean teens all of a sudden make eye contact with the true like hitmen badasses and they go, oh, yeah, those are real badasses. Yeah, those are real murderers. It reminded me of that. This made me think of the movie Wings of Desire. Mm. Have you seen that movie, Sam? No, but I did really? I did watch a Vim Vendors film last night. I watched The American Friend from 1977 starring Dennis Hopper. How was it? Pretty good. But that, honestly, probably one of the only Vim Vendors movies I've seen so far. And I know Wings of Desire is like the one to see, it but I haven't seen it yet. Easily in my top five movies of all time. Well, definitely Might even bump it, it a little bit higher up. It, it has Peter Falk in it. It has Columbo in it. Mm-hmm. It's lovely. Playing himself. Yeah. Oh, wow. Lovely. But so that's what it made me think of, only because it's a couple angels hanging out talking to each other. And I was kind of hoping Peter Falk would show up too. But I mean, we already have Peter and Jonathan Smith. We, yeah. I can't ask for too much. So this movie is destined to like at least succeed through production because it has not one but two angels on intervention services here. Again, it's interesting. You think we would find out what happens to the movie, wouldn't you? You know, you keep saying it in a certain (laughs) way that makes me think we might never get back to the movie. That would be a little unsatisfying, wouldn't it? Well, Jonathan has yet to be in a scene no, he's the director. No, Jonathan does not star in the movie. Joey's the star of the movie. Joey's he's the, the magician. Joey. Yes, you're yes. paying attention. In the movie titled The Magician of Venice. Right. Yeah. Which makes me think maybe they mean The Magician of Venice Beach, but I could be wrong. <laughs> <laughs> So Jonathan is nervous. Yeah, and Petros realizes that. And he says to him, you look frightened, Jonathan. And he's like, oh, I'm sorry, I've never met one of the big ones before. Am I doing a bad job? Yeah, when, just so human-like. Yeah. The first thing he assumes is, what am I doing wrong? Must be <laughs> corporate why, sent why you. Are you. Exactly. Am I doing a bad job? Why are you here? Peter tells Jonathan, well, this is kind of a big one. We actually thought you might need some help on this one. You haven't read the ending of the script yet, have you? Uh-oh. Petros hands him the script. Script. Jonathan walks off and is reading the script. And then turns around and says, Does it have to be? Can't we change it? No. It is written, has been written. And I was not the author. We both know that. The play must go on like life until the final act. Camera shot of Stella and Mark walking along the beach. Hmm... This smells heavily of death right now, guys. This next section I called, for all my fans out there of The Cure, I called this part standing on the beach staring at the sea. John and Mark are together on the beach staring out to the ocean. No gun in their hands, but they're talking together. Mark says, you know, being with you, John, the last couple months of my life have been the best thing ever. And it just, it hurts me to have to tell you this, but I've got to be leaving you. It's time for me to be moving on. Why? I got a pretty good hookout (laughs) and I might get laid like as early as this afternoon if I play my cards right, dude. The only reason two bros ever part ways, (laughs) he says specifically, I'm going to ask Stella to marry me. Yeah, he's going to make it legit. He's getting that piece of paper. Wow. Mark's got some laser focus going on. Jonathan. He doesn't want to be the co-star of this TV show anymore. (laughs) 
He's looking for a spinoff. Married down at Venice Beach. That's moving a little fast, but... That's exactly what Jonathan says. Mark wants John to just be excited for him and tell him congratulations and that he's happy for him. But Jonathan just says, I, th- I think you're moving kind of fast, man. Don't don't you think you should slow down? If you're a real friend of mine, you would just be happy for me. Can't you just say that? Can't you just say that you're happy for me? He can't. He just Jonathan just stares at Mark. He's like, but you don't need things. You don't need food. You don't need water. You don't need the love of a companion. You just don't want me to leave. Do you think that's true? Jonathan Price probably doesn't want Mark to leave. Jonathan Smith. Is it because... (laughs) How dare you? Well, I think that... You will join my cult. (laughs) Give me your car keys. Is it because Michael Landon doesn't know how to drive? (laughs) (laughs) No, he was driving at the start of this episode. We do see him driving a little bit more coming up. Okay, interesting. Mm -hmm. Because previous to this, we hadn't really seen Michael Landon behind the wheel. No, it's usually always Mark driving. I mean, does he even have a driver's license? Does he need one? I mean, if he can make a container of sour cream, he can probably pull off an authentic driver's license. Yeah, nobody needs to worry about that. So uh, Jonathan Smith is not on board with Mark's whirlwind romance plans. I mean, he's got really nothing to say. He's just staring at Mark, and Mark just says, see you around, and storms off the beach. The end of a friendship. Yeah. So early in season one. Well, and Mark was shame. opening himself up and being vulnerable and feeling some emotions he hasn't felt for a long time. And he just feels like he got rejected and shut down. So now we have a close-up of a ring. Camera is zooming back on a ring box with a ring in it. Mark's buying a ring. And we see him pondering and deciding over whether he should buy it or not. I'm confused as to how Mark has n- <laughs> enough money in his pocket to get a ring. Cause That's a good point. It just doesn't even seem like they stick around long enough to get paid. Yeah. You know what I mean? And oh, Mark yeah. had been fired when we first met him, and I think we can all safely assume he didn't have a lot of money in savings. A lot of their jobs, I can see them being paid quickly under the table. But then at the same time, like I remember doing a lot of part-time gigs in the 90s, and it being like you having to start somewhere and work there for almost a month before getting that first paycheck. Oh, yeah, definitely in the 90s, we were young people with zero money. And that can be a lonely three weeks before you start getting your seven fifty an hour. Mm-hmm. What was your first job in high school, Sam? I was a dishwasher at my mom's side of the family runs a restaurant in my hometown. That's a good first job. I think my first job, I was 14 years old, just mm-hmm. out of eighth grade, and I washed dishes for a summer. So did they pay you like 50 cents an hour since you were family that worked there and 14 years old? No, it's it 15 cents an hour. <laughs> it was whatever the Clinton administration had deemed the minimum wage at okay. the time or like 510 or 515 515 i remember wow. being a thing what was your first job joel dishwasher really at the college that my mom taught at wow nice i was 13 and a half oh wow great. really you're always bragging yeah. joel that was the only place you could get hired at 13 and a half in the city it worked at the end of a conveyor belt that all of the dumb college students would pile all of their awful dishes and just make messes of their food sticking their cups in their potatoes they I didn't know there was a 13-year-old back there dropping it all into a slot. Summer away. <laughs> How about you, Rachel? What well, was your first job? I was 16. I was apparently pretty old in terms of getting a first job compared to you guys. But a bunch of my girlfriends, I don't even know who found this job, but somebody had gotten a job working over the summer on an urban vegetable farm. And so then the rest of us just jumped
jumped on board. And I 100% would have quit that job the first week if my friends hadn't been there with me. But it was horrible. I can't remember what we made. It couldn't have been very much. Sounds like very hard work. I just made so many bunches of basil. More basil than you could ever imagine. <laughs> I did get the best tan of my life. I was super tan, but not really worth the trade-off. That's no small feat for a, no. for, a, for, a, for a ginger lady like yourself. No, so I learned that if I want to get a tan, I need to be outside literally every day of summer pretty much all day. Good to know. Yeah. Uh, where were we? We're going to have some montage. Is this making the movie or is this making no, this the is, romance? This is really a good romantic montage. Mark and Stella are just having fun. They ha- are hamming it up at that giant amusement park on in the boardwalk. small town. Yeah, they're having fun. They're taking their pictures in those cutouts that you stick your face through of like he, the strong man. Yeah, and he wins her a stuffed animal. No, she oh. wins herself a stuffed animal. She wins him a cute little teddy bear. What yeah. a stunning gender reversal. <laughs> They're riding in a bumper cars together, and he's got the bear on his lap, like the bear's driving. He's oh, that's like fun. he's like cheesing a lot for her, and she's laughing. Really good time. Sounds like a heartwarming montage. It's nice to see Mark kind of just letting loose and looking happy, especially considering how he had just gotten his heart broken a little bit by his best friend. So now he's just has Stella, and they apparently hang out all day because in the next scene it's nighttime, right? Right. It's dark out, and they're walking up to a uh, carousel. They're sort of like fiddling with a doorway. And Stella's like, are you breaking in? And Mark says, you can't break in. It's unlocked. Come on, come on. And she doesn't really want to, but he sort of goads her into going into this room and it's the carousel. All the lights are off. Yeah, and she's like, what are what are we doing? And Mark says, oh, I know the magic words to get this carousel to work. What are those magic words? It's going to cost you. Cost me what? A kiss. Uh, okay, a kiss is okay. It's a little on the line, but that's where the line is. And so we actually get our first real kiss of the series. If I'm remembering correctly. Oh, I suppose that's true. Yeah. Because there's been a lot of sexless affection yep, yep. amongst many characters Some on this show. strange cuddling faces behavior, but this is a full-on kiss. This is their chance. They're going for it. Cut to the chase. It's yep. been a good long drought for Mark, mm-hmm. I'm sure, because he's such a salty bastard. <laughs> After they kiss, Mark just yells really loudly, 50 bucks. And the lights turn on. So that's that was the, the magic starts words. rolling around. Again, where does Mark get all this money? He's got enough <laughs> in his pocket for a, a ring, but then he's got another 50 bucks on top of whatever he spent on the boardwalk? Good questions. I, I think, didn't think about that. I, I think Jonathan just... Price, Jonathan Price, <laughs> I think Jonathan Price can actually make money. I think Mark is getting a stipend. I think he's a salaried sidekick. He has to pay for his beer with something. So they get on the carousel and they're riding around in the carousel together and they're having a lot of fun and they're laughing. And Mark tells Stella, try for the brass ring, grab the brass ring. And Stella's like, I don't think there's a brass ring on this carousel. They stopped doing that after the carousel competition days. The bottom (laughs) fell out of the carousel market. It wasn't as fancy as it used to be. In the 60s, people weren't looking for the perks with their carousel experience (laughs) like they used to. Stella says there's no ring on the carousel and Mark says, yes, there is. And he holds out the ring box. Ah, smooth move, Mark. I didn't really see it coming. You guys misdirected me long enough where I was like, oh, surprising. (laughs) 
And at this point, Stella just gets really serious and doesn't say anything. There's a long pause. For a long time. Long enough for the carousel to stop. The carousel music. The carousel operator comes out and says, that's it. You got to pay more if you want another ride. But let me know if you ever want another ride. I like that 50 bucks. Mark and Stella get off the carousel. She still hasn't said anything. Oh, man. I think by this point, pretty much all the air is out of Mark's balloon. Yeah, I wrote in my notes, Mark is looking super vulnerable. Okay, she's got some baggage to unload here. Yeah, she's just staring at the ring. She's scared. Why is she scared? Well, Mark decides to say anything because, come on, you can't just have silence for that long. Mark tells Stella that he loves her and he wants to marry her if she'll have him. And she says, if I'll have you, oh, Mark, I've waited so long. I will. I do. Oh, baby. I'm going to make you so happy. That line always makes me laugh and feel sad when somebody says something along the lines of, I'm going to make you so happy. It's not a good thing to build a relationship on. You have 100% guaranteed happiness every millisecond you're together with me from now until forever. Promise. It's in the vows. So then they says, all right, all we need to do is go out and get a blood test and uh, I'll wear the sea captain outfit. More kissing. And then they kiss. Too bad they're going to find out it's incest later. I predict incest. So I actually looked this up because... I was like, what's the deal with the blood test? At least at our age, we're all familiar with the concept of having to get a blood test when you're applying for your marriage certificate. Nobody does that anymore. Oh, you don't have to anymore? Nope. It actually stopped in the early 80s. You still have to in Montana. But the reason the blood test started was actually to test for uh, venereal diseases. It has nothing to do with marrying your brother, though, which I think a lot of us, that's what I assumed. Did you, Joel? No. Gross. Screening for rubella and syphilis. And then syphilis was the main one because apparently syphilis can cause serious birth defects. I didn't research it in depth, but apparently it came out of some of the eugenics movements of the 1930s. And if you did have syphilis, you had to get treated before you could get your marriage license. Mm -hmm. When I said gross about marrying your brother, I think if you're consenting (laughs) adults, you should be able to do as you please. Especially if you and your brother were separated at birth and then you meet when you're adults and you're oddly attracted to each other and you find out after you're already engaged, that's okay, right? And I think as long as you plan to adopt. So I was right. It's incest. This is what Petros was talking about the whole time. You're lucky I'm here, Jonathan Smith, because Mark is going to try to have sex with his sister. (laughs) God is not in favor of that. Unless you need to create a bunch of... You're reading my mind. (laughs) Unless there's only two people on the whole planet. Yeah, if you need to repopulate the Earth. Or if everyone's been wiped out in a flood, then you might need to procreate with whoever you can. What was Mark's sister's name from the first episode? Oh my goodness. Lynn? Leslie. I think it was Leslie. It was Leslie. Yep. Well, this is news for Leslie as well. She's got a sister she never knew about. (laughs) How does this continue to unfold here? So we're going to cut for the first time to the Thornton Hotel, which rents rooms by the week. And that is where Jonathan and Mark are staying. Mark comes in, slams the door, which is never a good sign. Guess what happened? She dumped him already. She dumped him already. Yeah. Stella dumped him. She She totally bought the farm in the last scene five seconds Mm -hmm. ago. Well, and Mark says, we did the blood test and everything. Yeah. And Stella left Mark a note saying she ran off with an old flame. It was nice while it lasted, but this old flame is better. So she's running off with him. He goes over to the fridge and opens it up and pulls out a beer. Slams the door and throws the beer cap across the room. Well, I was going to say I told you so. No. Guess that'll teach me to listen to an angel next time. Boy, what a chump I am. I don't think you're a chump. Oh, yeah? What would you call it? 
If you hadn't filled me up with all that trust garbage, I wouldn't open myself up for the first time in my life. Boy, I'd like to find her and tell her what I think of her. She's at the beach where we shot the other day. What's the use? It's over. You can't make somebody love you. She does love you. And why'd she run off? That's something you're going to have to ask her. So Mark walks down to the beach and he finds Stella. Stella tells Mark, why are you here? You should have just left it alone. She's kind of being mean to him and like trying to push him away. But Didn't you get my note? Didn't you read it? Don't you know I picked someone else over you? But he won't let it go. He's like, how'd you meet somebody so quickly? I love you. Why did you leave? She tells him that she loves him as They well. end up hugging each other. She's like, I do love you. I love you too. And, Mark, and the movie is totally gone. Nobody's making a movie anymore. I Nobody was, calls cut at the end of this scene. I was really caught up in the drama at this point. So yeah. I had kind of forgotten about the movie. But this is not a scene. Nobody's calling cut. What we find out, the blood test did not show that Stella had syphilis, but it did show that she's dying. That's why she left. She thought it would be easier for Mark if he thought she left him and he could hate her than if he knew she was dying. Mark's like, you were wrong. Yeah. <laughs> That's never the right choice. Do they specify what she's dying of or it's just an ambiguous terminal illness? Yeah, just something quick moving. So Mark says, you've only seen one doctor. Doctors can be wrong. Doctors aren't gods, you know. They don't know everything. The only thing that can save you is a god. Hang on. I've got a well-connected friend that could help you. Actually, trust me. I can help you. Trust me. Please, will you trust me? Mark runs back to the apartment. This is going to be one of those things where Mark's like, you can kick the shit out of these guys for me, right? Right? Right. Why aren't you kicking the shit out of these guys for me? Dude, where are you going? Jonathan can't change it. You know that. He can't change it. No. Mark's the boss like, wants why? Stella to die. Exactly. The boss wants Stella to die. They're both getting pretty emotional. Mark says to Jonathan, you're just doing this so I'll stay with you. And Jonathan says, you know that's not true. And at this point, they're both staring at each other and crying. Mm -hmm. They're both crying. They're yeah. both crying. He's like, who does her Jonathan, death serve? Jonathan is crying and Mark is like welling up pretty seriously. John says, I don't know why some people live as long as they do and others are taken so soon. But I do know that up until the time you met Stella, you never knew the joy of giving and loving so completely. And now that's inside you. It's alive inside you and it will be forever. And up until Stella met you, she never knew anything but broken promises. And now she has a man willing to share the rest of her life with her, no matter how long that life is, measured in years or weeks or days, because you love each other. Not even death can take that away from you. Okay, so oh she's going to be dead by the end of the episode. But first Mark has to run back to the beach because that's where Stella is. And Stella just does that movie thing where she knows Mark doesn't have to tell her. She's just like, you saw your friend. He can't do anything. So Stella has one favor to ask Mark. She wants him to scatter her ashes in the ocean. Mark has a favor to ask Stella. They go to a magazine stand and she goes to the adult section behind the curtains and comes back and hands him a Betamax tape. No, January 1960s no. edition. Mark, Mark, Playboy. Mark no. tells her he wants to marry her. Oh boy. He says, yes, I'll cremate you, but please, I want you to marry me. Marry me before I burn your dead body and throw I'll cremate you if you'll marry me. Oh, he's got a nice little speech about how they're both alive now, and so they shouldn't spend their time worrying. They should just get married and be happy for as long as they have. And she agrees. And they kiss again. They kiss again. Second so kiss. So much kissing. Third kiss. At least. Wow. These olds are getting it on, on screen. Mm -hmm. <laughs> well, they really don't have time to waste. Guess what happens next? She dies. It's a wedding. <laughs> she's got her tongue in Victor French's mouth, and she's just like... <laughs> 
Oh. And he's like, Stella! No. They're on the beach and there's a wedding. Mark and Stella. Jonathan is there. Martin is there. Chewie is there. And Joey is there. Petros? Petros, I think. Sure, he's, he's probably officiating. There. Yeah. No, but Mark is wearing his sea captain outfit. Huh. Mm-hmm. So, you know, for all our joking, Michael Landon and Victor French are good actors and they get some solid talent in this show. Mm-hmm. So I was really caught up in the drama. Yeah. Like I was buying it at this point. Mm-hmm. But I literally, as they're in the wedding on the beach turned to Joel and said what about the movie it had not occurred to me (laughs) up until that point because I was just going with the story and we try not to talk but this one a lot came out is this a Uh two-parter I was like what happened to the movie they threw it into the ocean along with the cremated remains of Stella yeah because we've got like less than five minutes oh gosh we are almost done they just jettison a plot line in order to get to the most sentimental climax here had they already done too many two-parters I feel like this one could have been a two-parter because there was so much whimsy in that oh scene gosh. with uh, Joey and Chewie yeah. earlier mm-hmm. where like life was imitating art and Joey knew all the lines without knowing them at all. Yeah, there's a lot we could have explored with those characters and with Martin. And it's always fun to watch a movie being made in something that you're watching. I'm a big sucker for that. The one thing I did notice when they were making the movie, we saw uh, no evidence of a movie being made at all. Interesting. Because mm-hmm. we, we thought that you would be interested in like the type of filming equipment that they would be using. I'm always interested in that kind of stuff. Yeah, too bad. Okay, so they get, they exchange vows. They are exchanging vows. They go through Mark's part. He says, I do. They start going through Stella's part and she stops the officiant and she's like, you know what? Just skip to the end. So he just skips to the end and she says, I do. They are pronounced man and wife and they kiss again. Hmm. Slow zoom in on the horizon, ocean waves, some sunset, some slow piano. Everyone's happy. Then we hear Jonathan Smith's voice come in as a voiceover. Jonathan voiceover. Oh, this is a great sign. This sounds like the end of the sequel to Planet of the Apes. Mark and Stella had seven weeks together. And then my friend kept his promise and scattered her ashes over the ocean. There was no eulogy. He said only these simple words. Till we meet again. Long shot of the ocean and some seagulls. Roll credits. What in the world? I got to tell you, I had a couple tears. I was tearing up a little bit at this point. That's a real harpoon to the heart. The whole like, she lived for 42 more days. (laughs) And then Mark had to burn her body. Had to pay for her body to get burned. where'd they get that money? And did they spend those seven weeks finishing the movie? Because she was in the movie. Yeah, they left a lot of loose ends here. Or was Martin's dream just dashed? I'm hoping in a later episode, there will be one just called The Magician of Venice. Yeah, where you actually get to watch the movie. Or you go to the premiere of the movie. That at some later episode, Mark and Jonathan are walking past a movie theater. And on the marquee, we just see The Magician of Venice. Love it. I would also like that. Okay, well, that's the episode. From my perspective, disappointing, and there certainly wasn't the Highway to Heaven version of Francois Truffaut's classic film, Day for Night. This was not an episode purely about making movies at all. This was an episode about finding love later in life and having it ripped away from you almost immediately. Yes. It sounds like Victor French will be at Michael Landon's side forever now that Michael Landon has not intervened in the divine murder of the love of Mark's life Stella so I guess the real question is what is the moral of the story (laughs) that is a 
big question. You know, this might be a general moral that could pertain to a lot of the episodes we've already seen before, but something about not judging a book by its cover comes into play here. That's something Mark has been working on throughout the series. And also Chewie sort of examined it while playing himself in the film. Yeah, and Mark... I'm just so disappointed right now. (laughs) I'm having trouble coming up with one of those meandering moral of the stories. This episode is nuts. What are we supposed to make of this? Yeah, the whole bailing on the filmmaking process and then just making it about Mark actually finding somebody to cuddle with for a second before she was totally, totally, totally dead. Right. Here's what I think Highway to Heaven is trying to show you. Don't judge a book by its cover because if you uh, strike up a conversation, you might find out that you got a lot in common with this lady and it could lead to a a lot of smooching until she's very, very dead. You know, you're both in your 50s at this point. I don't think it's realistic to expect her to have lived a virginal life. No, not at all. Yeah. So I guess it's don't judge a book by its cover and make hay while the sun is shining. I think that's good. This is a tough one. But I really am thinking a little bit about Martin, our filmmaker, who's probably in his 80s, wouldn't you say, Joel? Yeah. And he has... uh, presumably been pursuing this dream of being a filmmaker his whole life. And it sounds like Can he's had imagine? a modicum of success because well, Petros is I an angel. that might have just been a little fish in line. Yeah, that's know? right. Yeah. You know, Petros is just yeah. another omniscient being from heaven that is who what, knows everything about him. What I thought when that line was first delivered, though, that Martin was actually a well-known filmmaker who has just fallen on hard times, but I have to kind of second guess that now. Yeah, but, I mean, it also is possible to do something and then then like decades pass and you end up being 80 on the beach somewhere, living with the co-stars from your TV show. Going to the community center every day. But really, I mean, my moral is don't give up on your dreams. If Martin can do it, maybe you can too. You never know when an angel's going to come along and help you start making your movie and then get pretty distracted by his friend's problems. What about you, Joel? What's the moral here? I think the big thing is don't judge a book by its cover. By using like terms and words that just sum up and put down a person and then you only see them by that word that's been expressed and if you dig a little bit deeper you may find a friend you may find a spouse i like that i do too we've certainly talked at length about season one episode 10 of highway to heaven but before we can say goodbye to this episode and put it in the vault we have to discuss that last loose end which is the michael landon factor of this episode on a scale of one to ten michael landons how does it factor out for you guys today i mean this one is especially tricky because there were two angels in it. Yeah. So how much was Michael Landon and how much was... Peter from Galilee. And what did Michael Landon actually do? He... Other than not cure someone's cancer or sickness. He changed the radio station to Loud Ocean very early in the episode. He produced a movie and he gave Mark some good advice. I'm going to go with seven. Seven Michael Landons from Rachel Mayer. What do you think, Joel? It's going to cost him because there wasn't enough room for any Michael Landon romance. There's a lot of plates to spin here. They don't always factor in, but the sexual magic angel carrot is always on the... Yeah, (laughs) it just hasn't been quite as in the forefront for the past few episodes. And there weren't scenes of him doing any crutch kicking. We had this crutch kicking coined phrase. Where is it gone? They keep reinventing the mold here. He kicks no No 
crutches. Car magic. Uh, besides the the radio. You're talking about the reanimation of machines. Right. Like the fixing of air conditioners right. and the starting and stopping of car engines at angelic will. And there wasn't a lot of, like, it wasn't like, oh, he said the right thing at just the right time in this. But meeting the other angel, like, that was that was big. And, like, that was just, like, really charming where you're like, oh, I can't take my eyes off of Michael Andon right now. So I would give this six and a half. Six and a half. Rachel, you gave it seven. Seven. So I guess for season one, episode 10, the overall Michael Landon factor, according to your hosts, is 6.75. I hope somebody's keeping track of this. <laughs> we could work that into uh, some rubric somewhere yeah. on the website. That's a good idea. Well, ladies and gentlemen, we're going to wrap it up quick here at the Channel 3 TV studios. There seems to be a storm brewing outside, and yeah. somebody, the moderator of this show, has got to let his poor little kitty cat in before the rain hits. Thank you very much, ladies and gentlemen, for listening to the latest episode, the eighth episode of Highway to Heaven Revisited, your favorite new Highway to Heaven watch-through podcast, hosted by Rachel Mayer and Joel Luters. My name is Sam Hine. I'm the moderator, and I hope you have a great day. See you on the next episode. Bye. Next time on Highway to Heaven Revisited. Brad, you know I was in the Army? I, uh, I met a woman when I was in Saigon, a Vietnamese woman. <laughs> I want you to understand that this is before your mom and I were married. Go on. She had a baby, a girl. That girl is my daughter. I only want... I don't care what you want. Why don't you go back to Vietnam where you belong? Mr. Smith, if uh, you're fair enough, you may have come along just the right moment. <laughs> hey, well, I do that sometimes. Highway to Heaven Revisited is the galaxy's only podcast offering a comprehensive view of Michael Landon's classic 1980s television series, Highway to Heaven. Do you want to watch along with Rachel and Joel? Highway to Heaven is streaming almost anywhere. Check your favorite streaming platform to see if it is available. Please follow Highway to Heaven Revisited on Instagram. That's at Highway to Heaven Revisited. Do you have a question or comment for the hosts or moderator? Call the Hotline to Heaven. The number is 612-356-2495. That number again is 612-FLOW-BIZ-5. Your message might be played on the show. Or send the show an email at Highway to Heaven Revisited at gmail.com. Your message might be featured on the show. If you have time, please rate and review Highway to Heaven Revisited on iTunes. If you like this podcast, please share it with a friend. Theme music composed by Brian Just. Thank you for listening, and be sure to join the gang for the next episode. Highway to Heaven Revisited is a Channel 3 TV production.